0: Father, thank you that you do speak the Bible. Please do work by your Spirit uh, as we uh, read it and hear it preached. Uh, Please enable us to hear your voice, uh, to see your Son, to see what it is to follow after him. Through him, amen. So if you read the New Testament, you read the Gospels, Jesus keeps saying that the Old Testament speaks about him. His disciple-apostles, they keep saying the same thing. Uh, and over the next month uh, or so, we're going to be reading that the sampling of the Psalms uh, that speak about Christ. Uh, mostly the ones I've picked because Mark's Gospel uh, quotes them or alludes to them. Uh, so today, the Psalm, which uh, shows us the significance of the phrase, Son of God... Next week, the one which, that Jesus quoted uh, when he said to the scri- that the scribes hadn't thought through properly the implications of King David's calling the Christ Lord, and then a couple of quotes uh, in relation to his rejection and to him being forsaken. Uh, they shine a light on who Jesus is and what Jesus did from the day they were first spoken until Jesus returns, they do more than just state a truth or two about Jesus. They tie those truths to our experience. They help you see how the truth about Jesus pushes into Monday to Sunday life. So Psalm 2 speaks about the Son of God. But it doesn't simply state the truth about him. It confronts rebels with reality. It reassures people who trust him. It asks, is freedom from God really worth the fight? It asks, is there really any risk towards those who trust him? Is there really any risk for those who trust him? Verses 1 to 3 talk to rebels. Though they describe themselves as freedom fighters, uh, in history and fiction, uh, the rebels are often in the right. Uh, in fiction, my mind, my mind runs to Star Wars, uh, rebel alliance fighting against the, in, uh, impossible odds, to defeat the evil empire. Uh, history is measured out. History in reality is measured out in wars and conflicts where at least one side thinks they're fighting for freedom against the other. Freedom fighters oppose oppressive rulers. They do that because there's no space to thrive under, under unjust rule. It would be a blessing to escape out from under uninvited authority. They fight for freedom. Well, they just fight as protest against the injustice. Verse 2 describes kings of the earth taking a stand, rulers making a plan to fight for freedom... And it's freedom from the Lord Yahweh, God, and from his anointed. Verse 3, they feel limited by their, their authority. They, they, they want an end to their rule. They want freedom. It would be a blessing to escape the uninvited authority of the Lord God and his anointed. Now, Anointed is uh, translating the Hebrew word which we wind up getting Messiah from. Uh, the, the Greek translation, Christ, or, which, or sorry, Christos, which we wind up getting Christ from. Uh, this is one of the key passages uh, for uh, o- Old Testament expectation of a Christ, of, of an anointed one. And these verses show us the leaders and the nations and the people they rule planning their fight for freedom from the Lord God and his anointed, his Christ. First one asks why why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? Well, they rage and plot because they want their freedom. We rage and plot because we want our freedom. Uh, Whether it's the instinct that defined us or whether it's something which rises up within us in spite of what we say and know, in spite of our fundamental commitment, all of us or part of us Wants to be free from God's rule and direction. Free to say what is right and what is wrong. Free to live as we please. Free to be our own guides. Now the psalm could have asked, why do you think freedom to be your own guide is such a good idea? Uh, Why does curiosity about God give way to confidence that he's on the wrong side of human thriving? When you realize that he disagrees with you about what's best. Perhaps you know people. I know I know people. People who have only ever read the Bible as far as their first major disagreement with God. Then they slow. When they disagree with him about what he says... When they disagree with him about other religions, or about marriage equality, or about hell for people who don't deserve it, or about forgiveness for people who don't deserve it. Somewhere, somewhere, there's something which is too offensive. Whether with the Bible about to be closed or its pages still unread, they say, I can't believe in a God who. The words are about belief and unbelief. But the decision is driven by the determination to be free. You know what I mean? If the words are something like, I can't believe in a God who, the issue really isn't about whether he exists or not. It's whether they like what he says or not. It's an issue of trust. The assumption is that God is on the wrong side of human thriving. That we would be better off if God didn't rule us. That it would be better if we were free from him. Some could have asked, why do you think you'd be better off if God didn't rule you? There's a sharper edge in verse 1, isn't there? The question is, why do you think you could ever be free? Why plot in vain? Why plan the impossible? Why aim to defeat the undefeatable? Destroy the indestructible? Stop the unstoppable? That's the question in verse 1. It's the reason the Lord laughs in verse 4. Freedom is impossible. The freedom fighters don't fail the plan, but everything they plan fails. The living and true God is in heaven. Their on-earth plans cannot affect God who rules from heaven. He's so far above. He's untouchable. There's a lot to be said for a never-give-up attitude. Uh, an attitude which recognizes the difference between difficult and impossible. When I googled the word impossible and looked, for, for, looked at images, half of them were I'm impossible." Um, it's kind of just the way it goes, isn't it? It's the way we like to think. We need a ch- now, we do need a challenge to stretch us past our current best to achieve things which we could not currently achieve. But some things actually are impossible. A can-do attitude won't get them done. And being free from God is one of those things. Verse 4, God in heaven laughs. He scorns, he ridicules, he mocks. Because the finite cannot overpower the infinite. The mortal cannot outweigh the immortal. The made cannot outthink the maker. There is no defeating the all-powerful, eternal, all-knowing God. So he laughs. But it's not a laughter of amusements. Verse 5, he comes with wrath and full of fury. Why is God angry? Why is God angry at humanity's bid for freedom? Because it says something because attempting freedom is offensive. Because it's a protest it says we'd be better off if God didn't rule us. Every uprising has said that about those in power. Americans about the British, Russians about the Tsars, slaves about their owners, anti-maskers about their government. Rebellion always says about those in authority would be better off if you didn't rule us. And our rebellion against our maker says about the living, true, and holy God would be better off if he didn't rule us. Better off if God had no authority. Which implicitly means his rule brings us pain. That he holds us back from good things. That he's kept us from what's best or tried to. That his rule is unjust, that his commands are untrue, that we'd truly flourish if we were free from him that we'd be better off if God didn't rule us. It's about the loving, good God, our creator. There's no truth in it. It should be obvious when we look at the, the way that us ruling us works out. It's the step-up life way. We hurt ourselves, we harm others. It's offensive to claim that we would be better off if God didn't rule us. And God must defend his reputation. God must punish wrongdoing. In his wrath and anger and fury, he speaks, verse 6, and he says, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. This is his anointed, his Messiah, his Christ, his king. God's response to our rebellion is that he has made him ruler. There will be no negotiation. And then the next few few verses, God's king speaks. Verse 7, he says what the Lord God said to him. He said, you are my son today, I have begotten you. Now, the the kings who ruled on Mount Zion, the, the mountain where Jerusalem was, the kings who ruled on Mount Zion where this psalm was first written uh, and in the years after, well, they're the kings of Israel and Judah. Uh, the writer is thinking, uh, thinking out from God's promise to King David. Now, another key passage for you to understand about thinking about Christ uh, and Son of God in the Old Testament is 2 Samuel chapter 7. Uh, here are uh, a couple of verses, verses 12 to 14. A few. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, God says to David, I will raise up your offspring after you, who will come from your own body and will st- establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Sam, 2 is thinking out from that promise. In order for God's king to rule forever, he must defeat all his enemies. He must rule all the nations. He must own the ends of the earth. Which means there can be no freedom from the Son of God. Verses 7 to 9, kind of think that out as they, they put words in the mouths of David's Descendants. They are the sons of God. They they rule the nations. Every part of God's green earth is under their authority. God fights for them. No one can be free from them. But those words didn't sit well on the lips of Solomon or Rehoboam or Abijah or Asa or Jehoshaphat or any of the kings who sat on Jerusalem's throne after them. Israel was a tiny nation on the world stage. At times they had influence, at times they broke other nations, but they were also broken by other nations. The other nations were the world superpowers. Uh, When superpowers fought each other for supremacy across the world, Israel and Judah were kind of sitting in the middle thinking, who do we side with? Who do we ask for help? So on the lips of Israel's ancient kings, verses 7 to 9 sounded self-importance. Way beyond anything that they achieved. And they're designed to do that. They're designed to get those first generations of hearers looking for a better king, a stable rule, looking to God to fulfill his promise to his king David. When we read Mark last term, we heard Mark introduced Jesus to us as Christ, the Son of God. And he was saying, Jesus is that king that Israel had been looking for. Jesus is God's promised king. His anointed king, his Christ, his Messiah, his son of God. Uh, When uh, from heaven, God speaks to Jesus at his baptism and says, you're my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. God is saying, Jesus is his Christ his Messiah, his anointed king. He is the son of God. So Psalm 2, verses 7 to 9, they find it, wind up sounding right when Jesus speaks to them. For Jesus to say, the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. It makes sense for Jesus to say that. God has given the nations to Jesus. The rebellious nations of verses 1 to 3 are part of his property portfolio. He owns them. It's not a square inch of all of creation over which Jesus does not say mine. It's all his. We are all his. Not just Christians, all of us, all of humanity, man, woman, and child. Each of us are his. We can declare our independence. We can fight for freedom. We can say it is our life to do with what we want. But there is no freedom from the Son of God. Every one of us belongs to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. When we attempt freedom, we sin against him. When we sin against each other, we sin against him too. Because he owns both of of us and verse 9 Jesus' rule means we won't get away with our rebellion Jesus' anger there, verse 9 reflects God's anger in verse 6 Jesus speaks it in the gospel we hear it throughout the Old and New Testament his anger at the damage done in our lives the damage done to the lives of others his anger fundamentally at what our rebellion says about him and his father. Jesus will judge with passionate justice. There's no freedom from the Son of God. There's no... So Psalm 2 asks us, is freedom from God really worth it? It shows it's impossible. It's offensive, and it will be judged. No, it's not worth it. You would not be better off if God didn't rule you. There is no freedom, no escape from the God who made the universe. There's no escape from his son. But there is freedom with the son of God. Verse 10, the father and the son invite. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. The most don't be taken in by your instincts. You don't know better and you're not your best guide. It's not your life and you can't do with it what you want. You belong to Jesus. When you harm others, you harm his property. When you refuse his rule, you challenge his authority, you deny his goodness. You want to be free from him because li- you think your life would be better without him, but it's just not true. You're saying, I can't believe in a God who has no impact on his existence. So God says it's time to get back in step with reality. Jesus is king, and you should submit. Submit to the Lord, the living and true God, submit to His king. That phrase, kiss the son, I mean, it's it's kissing him him as the one who is king, it's bowing to him in submission, it's swearing loyalty to him. And verse 12 explains why. Lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. God's wrath, Jesus' wrath, is usually described as slow. He doesn't fly off the handle as soon uh, as things don't go his way. Slow to anger, but quickly kindled. He delays his judgment. But while he delays, it's stacked up like dry tinder and kindling. So as soon as a spark hits it, there are enormous flames. The verse is saying escape while there's time. Escape from danger. Escaping from danger usually does mean running from it. But when the danger is the living, the danger is the living, true and holy God. And the king who owns everyone and everywhere, there's nowhere to hide. Nowhere to escape. Except returning to him. The only available freedom is freedom with the son. There's no refuge from Jesus, but there's refuge in Jesus' safety. Now, that would be a horrendous compromise if the freedom fighters were right. It would be horrendous if the only available freedom was a compromised freedom. The freedom of being ruled by a God who is on the wrong side of human thriving. The the freedom of submitting to a king who makes life worse. It would be horrendous, but it's not reality. Reality is the last line of the psalm. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Kings and rulers, peoples and nations may be convinced that they're better off, if would be better off if God didn't rule them, but it's just not true. Our instincts betray us when they fight, they fight and say that freedom from God would be where a true enjoyment of life would be. They're false guides. True blessing, the truly good life, in this life and in the next, True blessing, the truly good life, is found with Jesus, the Son of God. See, so this is the other side of why submit to the Son. You know, submit to Him because there's no freedom from Him, no escape from Him. But it's also submit to Him because there's no blessing apart from Him. So, here, for those who are considering following Jesus and holding back, he, You need to see this. Life really is not better without Jesus. He's not inviting you to compromise on what's best. He's showing you what's good and best. But it's not just those who are exploring who need to see this. Most of us who follow Jesus find it hard to hold on to this truth. And for following Jesus, we're convinced that following Him is good. But there's part of us which still thinks we're being ripped off. The alternative is death and judgment, and that would be worse. But there are times when we wish we were free to do what we want, <laughs> like preppers who are, are, are glad that they've, cre- they've escaped the global disaster into their, into their underground bunker. They're glad they have bottled water because bottled water is better than no water. A tin stew is better than no food. Fluorescent light is better than no light. They're glad they're escaped, but they're learning to settle. They're learning to settle for less. They're yearning for more. We, we need a reality check when that kind of attitude slips into the way we think about following Jesus when the desire for freedom from Jesus kicks in again. Because life with Jesus is the truly blessed life. It's life to the full. It's more than we asked or imagined. It's the truly best life. In this life and the next. It's a lifetime of hearing God speak his Bible and enjoying relationship with him Monday through Sunday. Trusting him to tell it as it is. Trusting him to lift us out of self-deception to show us reality. Trusting him that he isn't holding out on us, that he is revealing to us what's truly good and best. Now when he says, don't go there, don't do that, he's actually guarding us against a cliff beyond which there is damage and disaster. When he says, do do this, he's pointing towards attitudes and actions which are for our thriving. Life with Jesus is the best life. It's a lifetime of enjoying God and His Son who brought forgiveness. Who's brought us into His family. Into a family where we don't have to prove ourselves, not to our Father, not to each other. It's enjoying God who is in control of all things, who provides for our daily needs, who works all things together for our goods. It's a lifetime lifetime of experiencing His care. Of longing for the eternal days when he brings us to our eternal home when we'll be with him no more crying or dying or pain or shame but best of all with him life with Jesus is the blessed life sometimes it speaks to us the truth about God and his son it, it, it confronts rebels with the reality it reassures people who, who, who trust with the same reality Is freedom from God really worth the fight? Well, none of it's impossible to be free. None of it's fighting to be free from true blessing. Is really any risk for those who trust God and His Son? Well, none of they rule everyone everywhere. None of they're true to their promise. Whether the fundamental direction of your life is fighting for freedom or you feel the desire to fight rising up from underneath a fundamental commitment to following, God speaks this sound to you. He confronts the instincts to think you'd be better off without him, without his rule. He exposes the impossibility of freedom from him and the offensiveness of wanting it. He warns of the consequences and he invites and assures you of the true blessing of trusting him, trusting his son. The true blessing and the true freedom found only in Jesus. If Jesus is your king and your refuge, like nowhere's safer, nowhere's better. There's no safer safety than the infinite, eternal, rich in mercy, Savior there's no better blessing than refuge in the sun so use this psalm to get yourself back in touch with reality revisit it when you, you feel that desire to be free rising up listen to God speak as he calls you back to reality and hold out this truth like, hold it out among us and tell each other we need to keep reminding ourselves of these things. reminding, what, Hearing them from one another. Lest we drift from fierce loyalty to Jesus. We want to hold them out to those who don't yet know. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you show us your glorious Son. The Lord Jesus your beloved son, the one to whom you have given all things everywhere, all people everywhere, the one who rules over all. Please give us such clear sight of him as that king. Please give us clear sight of the impossibility of escaping and being free from him. The offensiveness of wanting it. The foolishness because true blessing is found in submission to him. Father, please keep drawing us back to reality. We ask that we'll live Monday to Sunday with these realities in our heads and hearts, that we'll fight the sin that wants to declare you incapable to rule us well. Father, please use us to speak these words to one another uh, for one another's blessing. Father, please use us to speak these words and speak the warning uh, to the many people around us who have heard little or perhaps even heard nothing about your son who is their ruler, your son who invites them to know him as their rescuer. In him we pray. Amen.